Welcome to the Open House Podcast with James Tatum. This podcast is about conversations that we have in the gym. Everything from training methods, technique, massage, and other odd topics that come up. So make sure you subscribe, leave a review. That helps us out a lot. All right. Today, we've got Tyree and George here with us today. We uh, we got some fun topics to talk about. How you guys doing? I'm good. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've been doing good. Uh, had a little bit of a leak in the apartment yesterday, so mm. that was a little bit of a pain in the ass. But other than that, everything's going well. Mm. Coming in from the the apartment above, like you know, like water falling down into your room. No, apparently they. Um, so I didn't even know. I had just left and went to the gym, and the apartment lady's calling me, talking about, "Hey, the people below you on the first and second floor have water coming through the roof." And I was like, "Wait, what?" So I came home and um, well, I was on the way back home and they had came in my apartment already. And they said basically that um, somewhere along the line in the wall, there was a blockage and it caused my toilet to overflow and the fourth floor to overflow. And then basically all the water that overflowed on the floors was seeping through to the bottom floors. And there was like two inches of water full in my bathroom. Damn. Mm. Well, that's he, something to come yeah, home that's nasty. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you had a good day at the gym, though. So, I mean, balance. The day wasn't completely ruined. You had a good training day. Yeah, that 130 was a little rough. I don't know if it was a snatch balance. It's more like two overhead squats. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it counts. Snatch balance is different. All right. Snatch balance is just, it's different. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a little bit different of a move because, I mean, you have to learn how to, like, jump under the weight and theoretically you should be able to do you know the same technique starting from you know let's just say 60 percent all the way up to you know over 100 percent. but that just doesn't work sometimes like i can't i i was terrible at snatch balances but uh i think mine's some just people, pointless i'm just good at pointless stuff like that's well, I don't... <laughs> all right so you'll be happy to hear this tyree that um um, Jared was really good at them and the you know, he, he would end up snatching, uh, Jared Fleming would snatch more from the floor whenever he kind of like overloaded his snatch balance. I think he like snatch balance, like 180 something. Um, and it was pretty, pretty impressive to see. Cause I think, you know, like the rest of us, uh, were nowhere near as good at snatch balance as him. And he was a really good snatcher. Um, I think but, it was Waxman's gym said 105% of your snatch. I think Waxman's gym said 105. And I know there's another gym that posted something saying 110%. So I don't know if that even, because I mean, I don't think you were hitting 110%, right? Oh, me? Yeah. No, I wasn't. I was. I, I think my best snatch balance is in the 40s, and my best snatch was 160. So... Um, that, uh, that did not hold true for me. I've heard some people talk about overhead squats being like 110%, but not snatch balance. Um, but then again, it's, I've seen such a spread on it. Like for me, there wasn't really a big transfer from, you know, snatch balances to like being able to snatch, um, where for Jared there was. So it just kind of comes down to a little bit of individuality when you're getting into these odd exercises that are kind of, um, you know, a little bit further away from the traditional movements, 
you know, you really are going to have a little bit more individuality playing in, playing in rather than like the generic, uh, you know, Russian, uh, Russian percentage type things where like the, uh, the ratios of this and that, um, you know, there's some merit to them, especially like with the front squad and the clean, you know, that's a, that's a pretty uh, well validated one and it's pretty easy to kind of go along with it, but overhead squat, you know, eh, to an extent, you know, conceptually, it does make sense that you should be able to overhead squat more than you snatch. Um, and for a lot of people, that's probably true, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary because some people, they just, um, are predisposed to not be good at the overhead squat. So let's say when you squat down, if you looked at a bar path of uh, somebody that's good at squatting, that bar path would kind of look, you know, straight down and straight up. And now let's look at somebody, um, let's say uh, uh, Ben Abbott, a guy that used to be on our team, um, and he had really long femurs. So when he squatted, his bar path really wasn't that straight down and up. His hips kind of shifted back a lot. So like the center of gravity shifted a lot during his squat versus somebody that, you know, the center of gravity just kind of stayed real tight during that whole movement. So if your center of gravity is shifting a lot, that means that bar overhead is just exaggeratedly shifting more forward and backward during that overhead squat, especially right at the, uh, you know, the, the parallel position, not the 90 degrees, but when the femur is parallel to the floor, you know, that's where you have the greatest horizontal displacement of the hips. So that's, you know, you get somebody like that, and then that's going to cause that bar to kind of move forward and backwards. And whenever that bar moves forward and backwards, you know, you lose a little bit of uh, stability and control. Um, so for example, Jared was a very wide squatter. So by pushing his knees out so wide, just because that's the way his hips were, he, you know, from looking directly from the side, theoretically, he had shorter femurs. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, uh, it made it so that his squat was more compact. Um, and then he was able to hit a lot of weight. And now let's say you take somebody bend with the long femurs and the, the knees are generally kind of pointing forward, not super far out, you know, that, uh, you look from the side, his femurs would be, you know, pretty significant as far as length. And that makes the uh, the overhead squat a little bit harder. Um, so that that plays a little bit of it. That makes the validity of you know like a snatch balance percentage not working out across different body types. You know, it's a it's still a good exercise and it's still good to get strong. But the exact percentages I don't think make um, you know make as much sense as the front squat one, like front squat versus clean. That makes sense. Um, so how much do you put into the front squat versus clean? What type of buffer would you want your athlete to have ideally between their front squat and their clean? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't even know if it, I'd say like, a, it'd be like a range. So, you know, if you're cleaning, uh, 85% of your front squat, you know, that's on the bottom of the end of the range. If you're cleaning 95% of your front squat, that's kind of on the top end of the range. So, you know, that's a pretty big range, <laughs> but you know, I, uh, what's, what's the traditional one? I think 91 is considered kind of a high, I think 87 is the traditional Russian one. Uh, like, I don't know what Sean Waxman had. Um, 
because he's got a pretty. That's what I just checked. So I'm at the bottom. Yeah. So that's my cleanest trash. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. What are you at now, George? You got uh, you got 195 and 164. Yeah. Let's see. Roughly uh, 85 percent. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, what do you think? It, what do you think is a good split between the snatch and the clean and jerk? Because I heard people say twenty-five kilos, thirty kilos, thirty-five kilos. Yeah, I guess the traditional one is eighty percent of your clean and jerk is what you should snatch. Um, I was a little bit higher than that. Um, so, you you know, when you start out in weightlifting, let's say you start out as like a. Uh, as a beginner and you have a natural tendency to be better at one of the movements. Um, so let's just say you start out and you just the clean and jerk works really well for you. So you tend to have a high clean and jerk and, uh, then your snatch sucks because you're still a beginner, but you just kind of had a natural predisposition to clean and jerks. So you are, uh, your clean and jerk is just, you know, elevated a little bit higher. Um, and then the longer that you're in the sport, you kind of develop the snatch and then eventually that kind of catches up to your strength. It just takes a little bit longer to develop one side or the other. So that's what you kind of see, you know, aside from like, you know, some extreme situations, but that's what you see. You see the biggest disparity between snatch and clean and jerk when they're beginners, but then the longer that they're in the sport, kind of the closer that you get to that 80%, just because you start to, you know, you know, you develop the the skills and the attributes that make you good at both of them, and uh, then you become a little bit more of a well-rounded weightlifter. I was definitely broken when I started. Uh, my when I snatched ninety one, my PR clean and jerk was ninety five. Yeah, and that's fucked up. I was still in CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> I was still in CrossFit. My CrossFit coach looked at me. He's like, "We we've got to fix this clean and jerk." And then when I snatched 102, I saw that today. It was six years ago today. When I snatched 102, I think my clean and jerk was 108. Wow. I just, I just like snatching. So I always snatched and I just never, I never cared for clean and jerk. So I just never pushed it heavy until I had to. But I, yeah, I, I think in my first comp, I think in my first competition, I snatched 105 or 104. And then clean and jerked 128. And that was just like pure aggression though. So I can't even say there was like, because the snatch was like a power snatch essentially. And then the clean and jerk was basically like a power clean and jerk too. Probably a press yeah. out. It was a local conversation though, so no one caught it. <laughs> <laughs> well, still still there. You're at 82%. So that's pretty good. Um, yeah. And that's just normal. That's just kind of, you know, you just have a natural predisposition to one of them. So uh, for you, Tyree, it was the snatch. And for you, George, it was the uh, the clean and jerk. And maybe that's um, you guys got a little bit of like a, a going back and forth and talking crap to each other type thing going on, um, both being 81s, which works out well because, you know, Tyree being the better snatcher, George being the better clean and jerker, you know, you're always going to be it's always going to go back and forth. And that makes for some uh, some good competition. Yeah, you know, that's nice fun. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Nice. So, uh, we, we really got, we had a dead tie. We went to AO finals. I went snatch. You went clean and jerk and we finished in a dead tie. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, you guys both totaled what was it two seventy four? Four. Yeah. Yep. Two seventy four. Yeah, and then that number was significant for uh, qualifying for um, nationals. So, you know, that's why that uh, that number was significant and it worked out well. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes at uh, at Vegas. That'll be a fun competition. Um, well, first, uh, first we've got the American Open Series One coming up in Arnold, and that's in like a week and a half, um, less than a week and a half, one week really. And seventeen hundred athletes on there. You know, it's uh, they're not even at the Arnold; they've got it a couple miles away at a different venue, kind of away from everything. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting. So, Tyree, you've got some athletes from West Virginia, WVU, going to uh, the Arnold. We have a bunch. I think we have uh, fifteen going. We have a we have a bunch going, which it's going to be nice for most of them. This is their first. This is their first big comp. I'm trying to think if there's anybody that's been to one. I know Trevor's been to bigger comp. There are a few that have been to bigger comps that have been to universities before. But for majority of them, this is their first bigger comp. I know a couple of them have only done online qualifiers to even qualify for this. So having not even done a local comp and going to the Arnold first is going to be fun. That's, that's going to be a nice wake up. But it'll be cool. They'll get to see everything. They'll get to see more weightlifters. I always thought it was cool going to the training hall and watching how people just move so much different. Warm up completely different. Because you get used to seeing the same people in your gym do the same thing and me skip around the gym to warm up. And then you see somebody else sit in a corner with a band at finals and you're thinking, oh, I guess maybe that works too. So this will be eye-opening for them. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, interesting thing to say is because uh, I guess like back in the day, that was like the big thing in, in weightlifting before even like video was you would go to these training halls and you would see the different techniques. Because otherwise, you have no other opportunity to see other techniques. Now you see all that stuff with YouTube and video cameras, and you know. Well, I guess it started with like Iron Mind, um, like training hall videos. But it's an interesting thing now is what you don't see that people don't publicize is their warm ups because uh, warm ups are boring to watch. You know, so <laughs> like if you go on YouTube, you're not like, you know, you're, you're going to watch somebody go into lift some weights. You're not watching. You know, the the warm up, you know, the thing that might be particularly useful. Um, But then if you actually go to a meet, you know, you get to see some of their warm ups. You know, I never really thought of that too much. It's I think I told a couple people um, I was talking to one guy about it. Um, I was talking to Wes about it. Um, This is his first bigger meet. But I said one of my favorite things about the bigger meets is the warm up hole. one of my favorite things is the warm-up hole because you're not worried about anything else. On meet day, you're, you know what numbers you want to hit. You're worried about the competition, trying to do well. After, you're either happy about what you did or you're not happy about what you did. But when you go to the training hall, it's none of that. You're going in, you're hitting your 70% lift, and you're just enjoying lifting. Like, oh, I, I have accomplished enough to be at this meet. I've done whatever I needed to do to be here. That's the most calming time when I go to bigger meets. That, that's crazy because for me, it's kind of the opposite. 
I'll go in the training hall and I'm like anxious. I'm like so nervous. I see everyone else. I'm like, oh man, this guy's snatching that. Or that guy's moving this. Tomorrow's going to be interesting. And then I show up to the competition. I don't even really remember anything. I'm like, oh wow, that was fun. That was a blast. <laughs> I, I think it's cool seeing the people, especially when you see super show up and just randomly clean 220. Um, but it's also when I see them there, I'm not, I'm not worried about what they're hitting in the training hall. It's, oh, cool. That guy hit that number. And he did the same thing I did to be at this meet because we're both at this meet together. It's not like um, it's not like it's that big a difference. See, I get into the um the rabbit hole of looking people up on Instagram. So I'll go through and I'll start scouting <laughs> out my competition. <laughs> and yeah. then I'll run into him in the train hall and I'm like, oh, I know that guy can hit this. I know that guy can hit that. And we're probably yeah. in the same session. And then I'll start overanalyzing during the training hall. And then by the time I get to the competition, I don't know. It's just everything goes blank. I get in the zone and flies by. I definitely do that. Uh, by the time I get in the training hall, very few times I won't know who somebody is in the training hall. Even when we looked at our session for finals, I remember seeing a name. And as soon as I saw his name in my session, my first thought was, oh, he's lowballing. I, he should not be in my session. And then he went out there and powered everything. So I don't know if he was hurt or whatever he was doing. But as soon as I saw his name in our session, I already knew, like, ah, something's up. And then he just went out and powered everything and won the session anyway. Yeah, so yeah. I just started reading this book called The uh, Mindful Athlete. I highly recommend it to you guys. I haven't finished it yet, but um, he just kind of talks about how, I, how you achieve the zone as an athlete. So that mental space of just slowing everything down and everything just feeling right. And just goes over some different um, like exercises and basically little meditations that you could do on a regular basis to help make that zone more accessible. Yeah, I don't think I've read that one yet. I've uh, I've heard something about it, but uh, I haven't read it. I uh, I've been needing a new book to read too, so maybe I'll look into that one. Uh, the mindful athlete. Yeah, so. Uh, competitions you got people going to the arnold how many people you got going from west virginia i think it's about 15 15 all right wow yeah you're gonna have your hands full yeah um so there's three of us that will be counting i'm gonna count guys counting then we also have kyle who's counting so we have let me one two three four five six seven 14. Yes, we have 14 athletes. Um, Most of them are on Friday and Saturday. We have one on Sunday, one on Thursday. (laughs) So, but then we have a couple times where people are doubled up. I know we have uh, Leanne and Amanda are going to be lifting at the same time on Saturday and their numbers are within two kilos of each other. So that'll be nice and easy. Oh, in the same weight class, same platform and everything. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that makes it a lot easier because uh, the because uh, otherwise, if you got like, well, you you guys got three coaches, so you would probably be all right. It's when you have like, uh, you know, one coach and you got an athlete on, you know, platform one, and then you got another one on platform five. Uh, what do they end up calling those platforms? Stars? You know, red, white, blue stars, and then uh, what they call it? Is it freedom or something? Yeah, I think it is freedom. I think you're right. Yeah. I was worried about that when they said they were having six (laughs) platforms. I was really worried that that might have been bad. 
because there's three of us and everybody's in such different weight classes. What if everybody was going at once? I was worried about that, but it turned out to be fine. Yeah. Okay. I just pulled up the, I pulled up the, uh, the schedule and they still didn't have that name updated. So we'd, you're probably right. Freedom. Yeah. That, uh, that seems like it'd be a bit crazy. I, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I guess we'll see how it goes. It'll be interesting to be a part of the, uh, world's largest weightlifting meet ever. Um, I Again. do think that they missed the ball for the competition though. Cause it's, I mean, it's the Arnold, you know, it's, it's supposed to be right up there and personal with all of the other sports in the Arnold. And now it's so big that you're, uh, you're not even at the Arnold. You're at a weightlifting competition and then you can go see some other stuff that's in the city too. You know, that's what it feels like, you know, going into it. We'll see what it's actually like once you get there. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. So you got 14 people. Um, you've got, uh, yeah, so that's pretty good. Um, and they're all kind of on Friday and Saturday, so you got a lot of lightweight people. Yeah. Yeah, and so they're all cutting weight, huh? Um, yeah, most of them. I'll say I think one, two, I can think of three right now that are that are cutting. We had one that wanted to cut but isn't anymore. Um, I think we have more 89 men than anything. That's... I said, that's what we have. That's the class we have the most. And we have a lot of 89 men. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, statistically, that's where most yeah. Americans are, you know. Wow. Um, the, uh, you know, what's interesting is that I think that uh, youth athletes or anyone under the age of 17, you know, any use of like weight cutting um, techniques is uh, prohibited. You know, like they just weigh in what they weigh in. So they're not allowed to, like uh, they're not allowed to do saunas or, uh, anything like that. I think that's a fairly new rule. Uh, you know, I didn't do, I wasn't competing in weightlifting when I was that age, but, uh, I was competing in wrestling and back then it was just like, you know, free reign, like no seatbelts on the bus. The heat was cranked up and, you know, we had this yeah. guy running up and down the middle of the bus <laughs> in a trash bag, you know, <laughs> uh trying to like make weight and did, yeah did they make you guys do the um the urine test to like see how hydrated you were <laughs> no we didn't do that uh, yeah no i was i was pretty pretty sure we were just before all of that i don't even um, think i had that george i don't even think i had that maybe it's what? just a tennessee thing <laughs> we uh, i know they're doing it now they're doing it now but i, I don't think they didn't do it when i was there but how old are you if you don't mind me asking seven 27. Okay, yeah. Um, there's a three-year gap. Maybe it uh, came around a year or so after you. Right. Yeah. It, yep. Probably so. Because, I mean, once they started seeing this type of stuff, or the people that were wrestlers when I was in school are probably now the ones that are wrestling coaches, and they're like, we saw some messed up stuff. You know, we should probably, <laughs> like, yep. you know, protect these kids. Um, so what's interesting is, so there's safe sport. And, you know, with safe sport in the United States and like the United States is the only country where anyone under the age of 18 has to wear a singlet when they weigh in. Um, so they can't weigh in in just underwear or boxers or uh, or naked, even like that. Um, 
and we were, we were having this local meet here and we were talking about that and we were talking about, uh, you know, weighing in and how that's a rule. If you're under 18, like you got to be in a singlet and you got to have a coach or a, you know, a, a chaperone of the same gender or a parent in there during the weigh-ins. And, um, uh, and then I was thinking back when I used to weigh in for wrestling and, uh, they would get us all into a locker room and they'd have the ref there. And he'd just be sitting there in his chair and the scale would be right there. And, you know, we would just all line up and we'd all be naked. Um, so there'd just be a, like a line of like 20 guys that's there standing in, a, standing in a line naked weighing in. And then there's this old dude just sitting right there in a seat. So he's got like a crotch shot of like a bunch of these like high school kids. And... Um, you know, the I didn't. Things they can't do anymore. The, yeah, the things they can't do. Like I didn't. I never gave that a second thought. I was just like, oh, I'm weighing in. You know, yeah. whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, and like now, I'm like, man, if that dude was a creep, like think of all the like people that he would have taken advantage of. Um, so it's uh, you know, I guess those rules are are good for a reason. Um, but it's just surprising. My dad just, said this to me once. He said this to me once. And I think about it whenever there's a rule that doesn't make sense, like how you're not allowed to wear your socks anymore at weigh-in. I think that changed in 19. My dad said everything's a rule because somebody fucked it up in the past. So, yeah, I'm guessing if we can't wear socks, somebody probably had a half kilo plate in their sock to jump up a weight class to metal or something. Like, If it's a rule, somebody did something stupid that cost us. So that's probably why it became a thing. Yeah, that would be an interesting, uh, interesting one to find that out. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, these rules are all fresh in my mind because we had that weightlifting meet. But like, there's all these weird rules. Like, you can wear like religious headgear. Like, oh, all right, I get that. Um, and I guess along that same token, you can wear jewelry, but you cannot wear watches. You know, <laughs> I, I you know I, I guess right. watches could, could be heavier. I don't know. Like. Uh, you know, it's just like, instead of just being like, ah, whatever, just weigh in, like, they kind of had to, like, pick and choose which rules that they could pick. And then uh, and then it gets to the point where it makes no sense, like um, having jewelry but not watches, um, you know, having yeah. toe socks versus non-toe socks. I don't know. They're going to, I don't know. I think if you get too far down the rabbit hole of making rules and doing all that it kind of makes uh you kind of lose sight of the uh, the main picture or you just kind of deal with it it's not that big of a deal um to take your socks off weigh <laughs> <laughs> um, have become a big thing which i guess i get i get why weigh-ins are such a big thing i get why it matters but i think it it matters too soon if that makes sense like i don't I like the rule with if you're under 18, you're not supposed to do any weight cutting stuff. I like that. I've said this a few times. I know people disagree with me on it a lot. I don't think you should be worried about cutting weight if you're not going to at least finals. Yeah, if I can not agree at finals with that. Yet, I, I don't. Because at that point, you're either new, which is fine. Just keep keep going and you're going to get better. Or you're, you're still making tweaks to your lifts. You're still learning everything. So if you're still progressing, why are you going to try to cut off 
10 pounds so that you can go to this meet. You're not there yet, especially for a local meet. When your body weight means absolutely nothing, they don't meddle at local meets with body weight. I just, I don't, I think people stress it too much. I heard someone say, someone put this on an Instagram story and I didn't know them well enough to call them out on this, but they were trying to cut like 10% of their body weight for a local meet. And they said something, apparently somebody had said something to him about how this wasn't a good idea and she should probably stop. And she said, well, it's a part of weightlifting. And if you guys don't understand that, then that's why you don't get it. But if you're a weightlifter, you cut weight and it's just a part of the sport. And this girl's going to a local meet and I think her best snatch was maybe 43 kilos. So that was, that's not a part of the sport for her yet. That You shouldn't want that to be a part of the sport. You should wait as long as you can until it becomes a thing that you need to do. And most people don't need to do it. Mm-hmm. And try to eat as much as possible to get stronger. That's what a lot of people forget about too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's some interesting things in there. Um, the the 10% of your body weight, uh, that's definitely not part of the sport at any level. Um, that number that seems to be uh, consistent is about like three to three and a half percent before you start losing a significant amount of you know, uh, of strength. So like, that's kind of the max that you would ever want to cut anyway. Um, and then still, even at three and a half percent, you know, you're going to have some sacrifices, um, you know, especially, uh, in the more strength dependent lifts, like the clean and jerk, um, versus the snatch. So, and then if you just look at it logically, you know, if you look at uh, a local competition and you're wanting to qualify for nationals, uh, let's not even say nationals. Let's just say, um, with the 40 something, sir, they're, they're probably trying to qualify for American open series. Um, or what is it? Uh, university nationals. I, I don't know. Um, whatever it is. They, they have the same total now. Yeah. They, they have yeah. the same total now. Same thing. So let's see if you're trying to qualify <clears throat> for, um, one of those, the, uh, the rules say that you can qualify in the next weight class up, you know, so th- get that qualification out at a heavier body weight. And then if you, uh, if you want to experience to just be prepared to what it's like to compete at that lower weight, then you need to do a separate meet. But as far as like priorities, you know, qualifying is priority number one. Yeah. Something else that can be frustrating as well is most of the time when you talk to the athlete that is trying to qualify for the American open that thinks they need to cut at the local meet and you ask what they're eating Half of the time they're eating Cheetos or like Doritos, <laughs> eating McDonald's. And it's like, well, have you tried eating, like tracking your macros consistently? Have you tried eating nutrient dense foods and see where your f- weight would fluctuate then? And like without all the inflammation and all the extra sodium and water retention and things like that. And they're just like, oh no, I've never tried any of that. And it's like, so you'd rather eat like crap maybe half of the year. So you have to do this big old cut for this one meat instead of just eat moderately healthy with nutrient-dense foods for more than half of the year, and then you can sit naturally at that weight. I also think there's a group of people that enjoy, I mean, they don't enjoy the process of it, but they feel like if they're cutting weight, that they're now doing something extra. Like they're at a higher level now because they have to cut weight. Like, oh, well, this is very important for me to do. Instead Mm -hmm. of me just going to a local meet, well, now I'm cutting weight like a serious weightlifter to go to this local meet and that just never made sense to me 
that's one of those things that go with social media, the deceiving part, because you'll see athletes get on there that are possibly qualifying for nationals or the American Open, and they'll put up that post where they're sitting in the shower, sitting in the sauna, and they're like, didn't make weight, have to lose this many more kilos. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this, this, and that. And then that novice lifter or younger lifter is probably trying to emulate them because they like their technique or their style, and they're like, oh, I should probably do X, Y, and Z too so I can be like so-and-so. I've had to do, I've had to worry about weight once, which was this December. And you guys remember, I was pacing in the training hall, <laughs> spitting in a cup for 40 minutes. I was pissed. I hated doing that. I never wanted to do that again. So I don't know why people would do that willingly. The And then he, then he eats a bag of gummies instead of a sandwich. <laughs> After I weighed in and that gummies gave me a PR snatch. So, you know, they, they never failed me. <laughs> I just I, the last local meet that I did before that, I consider myself an eighty-one kilo lifter, and I went to a local meet where they gave me free money, and I weighed in at that meet, weighing eighty-two and a half, because I wasn't going to cut for a local meet. Could I have lost three pounds? Yes, but was it necessary for me to hit a good total? No. So the night before, I went out and had sushi. All you can eat sushi. Weighed in so, at 82 and a half. So how do you guys feel about this? So like you said, you're 82.5 and you need to be 81. So if you have a, a or I'll say younger or beginner athlete, maybe just touch an intermediate and they're sitting in that same predicament, would it be good? Do you think it would be good to maybe go down to 81 just so they could practice losing that one kilo or half a kilo in order to, for a future event like the finals or American Open or something? At, at the local meet? Yeah. Have they already qualified? They have not. Uh, no. no. If, if he has not qualified yet, he's 82 and a half. I'm going to have him do what he can to have the best total of his life. Eat, eat a bunch, train heavy, train well, fuel your training. And then once he hits the total that he needs, if he wants to practice getting down there later, that's fine. But I, if he hasn't even qualified yet, I don't see the purpose in trying to get him to to simulate something that he hasn't even earned yet. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. The uh, there is some merit to what you're saying, but it's like um, I think that's a couple steps down the road uh, that you want to do that. Because um, yeah, you want to be prepared to see what it's like going to be at that lower body weight and that's what you use local meets for is to like try out different things. So like you might use a local meet to, you know, well, one, obviously you use that local meet to qualify for the national level meet. The other thing that you might use that local meet is, uh, to try maybe a more aggressive opener or maybe in your warmups, you try bigger jumps or you try to see what it's like after you cut, uh, a kilo and a half with this type of weight cutting technique just to see how you respond. So those are like trial and error things, but they're, if it's your first meet, there's a lot of other more important things to focus on rather than those specific trial and error things. So yeah, they're important, but you know, priority number one is, um, you know, just learning the flow of a national level competition. You know, if you're going out there for your first, uh, AO or something, I don't think that you would really want, you should really have the expectations of hitting PRs. 
you know, you might be, um, you know, it might happen. Um, but really you're going there to learn the flow of the competition. You're, you're going there to see the formality of the weigh-ins and when they make you take off your socks and your watch, <laughs> but not your jewelry, you know, you're learning that type of stuff. So that's the trial and error. So you don't want to have all of your focus, um, on something silly, like, you know, um, you know, weight cutting type stuff when there's so many more lessons and things that you're going to be learning. Um, and you might not even think of these as, uh, you know, lessons to be learned, but it's just things that you're going to pick up as you are at that meet. So, you know, I would say maybe a little bit later, like that intermediate lifter that's, you know, gone to the American Open and now they have like four local meets before they go to their next national level meet. And then they can try out all of these different techniques on those next ones. Because now they have the experience like, oh, I went to American Open Series and I experienced, you know, the difference of, you know, how that one and a half kilos weight cut affected me on the stage. And now I can try this different one out and just kind of uh, kind of go from there. I also, I and I've said this a couple of times when talking to people about this meet, let's say you're this is your first or second meet you're an 89 kilo lifter and you're in the e session let's say you were to have the meat of your life you would get a pr snatch pr clean and jerk pr total six for six and you are in the e session you might finish number 38 okay but that is a great meat like aside from what you rank that doesn't matter right now you had a great meat or you could cut down to 81, be in the D session, hit three lifts because you weren't eating and fueling yourself properly, and finish 35th. Is that better? I would rather you stay in the heavier weight class and have a good meet for you rather than trying to go from 38th place to 35th place. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If you're not in the A, B, if you're not in the A or B session, trying to change weight class to jump up a session. I don't care if you're in the G or E session or not. Let's just go out and have a good meet. Yeah, I yeah, can agree with that. So what if you, um, here's one for you. So let's say you have an athlete. They're about, we'll, we'll say they're in the middle of 81 and 89. And they're right on that, that cusp of qualifying for 89 at the American Open, but they just missed it. And now their only chance to go is as an 81. Oh, I've, this is a conversation I've been having for the last two weeks, and it's it's not uh, talking about the American Open. It's talking about finals. Um, okay. They're on the border. They're saying, I think I can total as a 71. I'm not sure I can total as a 76. And I've said every week, I'm like, well, if you cannot total right now, you haven't gone yet. You're not. If you weigh 73, she weighs 73. If she doesn't hit the qualifying total for a 76, she did not qualify for the American Open yet, or for the American Open finals yet. Also, they're new. How how long have they been weightlifting? So I have one person who's in that spot, and they've been weightlifting for three months, and they're wanting to cut down to go to finals. I'm saying, no, you have not qualified yet. You are a 76, and you have not hit the 76 qualifying total. I have someone else who weigh, who's been lifting for seven years now, they're going to compete as a 76, trying to get the qualifying total for a 71. They're at different stages, so I talk to them 
differently about it for the new lifter who in three months will have the qualifying total for a 76 anyway, I'm telling them, no, you're not cutting to go down to this meet. Either you qualify at your natural body weight or you don't go. For the lifter that's been in it for seven years, progress is slower. Okay, cool. Let's qualify for this next level because for them, it'd be their first time. It's you qualified for the next level. You've been doing this for seven years. All right, cool. Let's go ahead and cut some body weight so you can go to that meet. I view those a little differently. So kind of the, uh, we're just giving out a bunch of different examples here, but the underlying, you know, concept that we have right here is you are keeping the long-term progress of the athlete in mind. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, going to a meet and making lifts and setting expectations correctly before a meet, um, to give them the right expectations of what a successful meet will look like. I think is really important when they're going to that American open, you know, cause right now, cause somebody might have this, have this expectation of what weightlifting is that cutting weight is part of weightlifting. That's just because their expectations are wrong. You need to, um, give the right expectations to the athletes for long-term development. You know, this gets kind of confusing in there because a lot of people want short-term things quick. You know, they just want things, boom. Um, they want it right away. So then they mix, you know, the little short-term fixes with uh, what it actually means to has, have a successful meet long-term. Um, another question that you should ask is, um, you know, how long is that individual, you know, planning on being in the sport? Are they planning to just do the American Open and just be like, all right, I'm done? Um, or is there a hint of they might want to continue on and do some more? So like, you know, kind of knowing the individual and then knowing the right choice for the long-term plan um, should both, you know, be kept in mind. George, I have a question for you. Let's hear it. Knowing, knowing you're an 81. Um, and I know we're both wanting the international total, which you need to go look at who they have listed recently. They put that up yesterday. That was interesting. Um, after you hit the, the international qualifying total, after you go to an international meet, are you going to go up to 89? Um, truthfully, I'm going to stay where I sit naturally for as long as possible because um, I have no shot at this quad anyway. Where do you and sit naturally? I, I sit naturally around 81.8 to 82.5 in between there. It fluctuates depending on how much water or sodium I have. And then, See, I sit um, between 82 to 83 and a half. So that's why I was curious. Yeah, so my main goal is the games in 28. So I'm going to try to stay 81 for as long as possible and um, slowly drift up to 89 to hopefully be a contender in that next squad. Okay. See, I'm I am the opposite. I'm sitting, I normally sit about a kilo heavier than you. So after I hit the international qualifying total, get one international meet, I'm going to go to 89. Not that I'm going to fill out 89, but I would love to not care at all. See, this is a good training. example of training age too, though, because how long have you been training? Like the difference in training yeah. age? Yeah, I started what? I started snatching and clean jerking in 2015. Yeah, so you've you've got more like probably more dense. I would say you're probably filled out more as a weightlifter. Like you have more weightlifter muscles than I do right now. When did you, when did you, yeah. Yeah, that's what you mean. Yeah, that's, I was going to, when did you first squat 400? 
How long ago? Uh, 400 was probably 2018. Yeah, I'm just I'm just more beat than you. I'm just because mine was in 2009. Oh, yeah. So there's a big gap there. And I'm broken and I don't have knees. So I like as soon as I can hit that total, like that is my goal. I want to hit the international qualifying total, get one of those singlets. And then I'm not going to care about body weight. I'm not I'm probably not going to fill 89. I might get to 84, 85 every day. And that would be perfectly fine. But the sooner I could get to a point to not care would be great. So this was something that's weird for you guys to know. Um, Not many people know this, but when I had first started weight training or like resistance training, for some reason, I thought that I needed this outrageous front squat. So I was actually front squatting more than I was back squatting (laughs) for the longest. You know what? I like that because front squat's way better than back squat. So So, uh, I'm glad that you did that. I was front squatting 275. And then quarter squatting like 225 on the backside. <laughs> when I started CrossFit, it, my bench press was 70 pounds above my front squat. And my coach just looked at me and it's like, that makes no sense. And I was so confused. Like, oh, I had a good back squat. Like, oh, I, can, I can back squat 400. He's like, yeah, but you front squat 240. Now I thought that was a normal split. Oh, like, yeah, it's a front squat. That's fine. <laughs> and then we benched one day and I hit like a double at 300 and he freaked out. He said, we can't, this isn't okay. We have to fix this now. So that quickly yeah. changed. Good, good coach. Good coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having the big front squad is probably a better problem uh, than it is uh, an issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that explains a little bit of your front squat, which is uh, up pretty high compared to your clean and jerk, you know, from that conversation in the very beginning that we had. Uh, so not bad, not bad. Um, yeah, so I think that's, uh, that's a pretty good, uh, you know, that's a pretty good topic for today is, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, weight cutting strategies and all of that, and then making sure you just keeping the long-term plan of, uh, of your athletic career in mind. And, um, very rarely does more than three and a half percent ever work out. You know, occasionally you're going to see somebody crazy like um, like Alyssa Ritchie. She used to do these crazy (laughs) weight cuts and all that stuff. Um, uh, And she was also like hyper disciplined about things. Um, And you see that. But that's not uh, that's not the norm. She's kind of the um, the exception um, because of being so disciplined and all of that. Um, But the norm, you know, never try to cut more than three and a half percent. And uh, from somebody who has cut three and a half percent, it is miserable. Um, so it, uh, it it's not that great. Um, just get stronger. Weightlifting is a strength sport. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, if you listen to the podcast before this, you hear that I eat two eggs, two egg whites, two bacon strips, a yogurt, and toast. And then you hear Coach James say that he only eats two eggs and like two bacon strips when he's 77. So would you rather have all this... <laughs> All this food or just that little bit? That's the portion. Look at the difference in portions there. Yeah, yeah. Rub it in, rub it in. All right. <laughs> I weigh like 87 now, so we'll see. Uh, so uh, a, a real quick recap of our um, weightlifting meet that we had last uh, or two weeks ago. Um, I didn't have the statistics last week because uh, I was unprepared, but we had a lot of made lifts. 
we uh, we had 80 out of 90 made lifts. We had 15 cool. athletes compete at the local meet. Um, and so that gives us an 88.89% made lift uh, for the competition for our team, um, which is uh, is pretty solid. You know, that uh, we had a lot of people go six for six for the first time. Uh, you know, we chose weights with the long-term plan in mind. Um, you know, we... Uh, we just went out there and we had a good time. Uh, you know, there was a lot of people competing like in that last session, I forget how many were like athletes I was coaching in that last session. And it, uh, it got a little wild. It was just like, you know, I, I'd yell back and be like, all right. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't exact because, um, there couldn't be an exact with that many athletes, but I called back and I was like, Hey, uh, Mac, you know, what did you just hit? And he's just like, oh, I just hit 90. I was like, all right, we'll go back down to 40 because you're way ahead. You know, like slow down. And then I'd go to someone else and be like, hey, what did you hit? Oh, I just did the bar. Well, you're supposed to be at 90. So let's hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was uh, there was like two occasions of that. But for the most part, you know, it went pretty good. But, uh, you know, they all had the expectations and uh, and reasonable openers and all that stuff. And so they went out there and they made lifts and uh, that made it a lot of fun. And uh, the next competition we got is the Arnold AO1. Um, and so we got Trung on Thursday. And then we've got, uh, um, I believe the next one is Cody on Saturday. And then we've got uh, Marson on Sunday morning. And I think that's it. You know, we had a couple of other people signed up, but uh, due to, uh, you know, just you know, stuff. We, uh, we only got three going this year, um, which might be, uh, which might be all right because it's going to be a crazy meet. Yeah. And then you've got your 14 Tyree. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be nice. Uh, I already spoke. I don't know when Cody's going, but I'll be there when I'll be there for Trung, be there for Marson, but Saturday is going to be hectic. So, uh, I gotta see which one, what time everybody's going. But it's going to be nice, yeah. especially going with a big group like that. AO3 yeah, a few cool. years ago was really nice, so this will be cool. Yeah. Don't make your plans until they come out with that final schedule. You know, who knows what's going to happen. How many people are going to get that late fee registration? All right, guys. I think that was a, a solid episode. Um, I think there's a lot of good information in there. I am excited to head out there to the Arnold next week. Uh, well, I'll see you, I'll see you Tyree out there. Um, George, I think the next time I'll see you is in Vegas. Yeah. Um, for, uh, U25. Yeah. And that'll be a wild time. Uh, it'll be a wild time and you might not even do any gambling. Who knows? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll leave it all on the platform. Yep. Kilo yeah. at a time. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening guys.